we're going to do now is to pause, and we're going to be looking to our Lord. And as we look to our Lord in the midst of all this, we're going to be asking God's guidance, God's direction, not only in the understanding of these verses, but even more so in the way in which we can honor and glorify our Father, our Heavenly Father, on this Lord's Day. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And our Father, as we're coming into your presence now, what we want to do is to get our arms around the tremendous wisdom that is found in what was just read to us. We want, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ to be honored and glorified in these morning services. And out of that, we then honor the fathers on this Father's Day. All of us are reflecting upon the fathers that you brought into our lives in such a way that they would have an impact upon us. So, Lord, minister. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. Come here to see Jesus. Him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Focus on the Family has a wonderful article pertaining to Father's Day. It's entitled Equipped for Fatherhood by Randy Wilson. And he writes that as a father of seven children, I can relate to every dad who wants to give his best to his family. My wife Lisa and I have walked through many experiences with our children. Teething, first steps, first day of school peer pressure, college, and weddings. And with each and every child who came into our home, I had one basic question. Do I have what it takes? Now, you and I have to ponder the ultimate fatherhood found in scriptures. Our Father in heaven, who gave his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins, who had what it took and gave in such a way that we could have eternal life. What I want to do is to explore that question that Randy Wilson posed in these verses that God's given us. Because if you're seeking wisdom, you find that the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom and a manual for the home. Just as there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, as I've often said, it seems to line up naturally with one day each and every day, a chapter per day for an entire month to be repeated again. And yet what's also fascinating is that within inside the book of Proverbs are what is known as the 30 sayings of wisdom that begin to unfold in the verses we look at and subsequently verses that follow what we're looking at this morning. 30 sayings of wisdom. And the word wisdom in the original language means literally masterful understanding, skill, expertise for everyday living. So what we want to do is to answer that question that Randy Wilson has posed by drawing out three significant equippings that are found here that equip fathers, parents in general, but all of us at the same time to ponder seriously how we go about equipping lives with wisdom. And the first is found in verse 17 and 18, and we're going to phrase it like this, number one, that the wise father equips us to understand 
the process for gaining wisdom. Now, you and I are going to find that what the writer is about to do is he's going to provide you and me with what I'll call the anatomy of wisdom. He's going to draw out various body parts, you see, and he's going to show the way in which wisdom begins to connect with the various body parts so that you and I are able to connect the dots and become increasingly wise in the ways of the Lord. In verse 17, the first anatomical part is described as the ear. And notice how it's stated. Incline your ear, this father now says to his children, and hear the words of the wise. Now, look very carefully with me at that phrase, incline your ear. The word incline carries with it the idea that he's issuing a command because the natural tendency is not to lean into wisdom, but rather due to our sinful nature to draw back from wisdom. Wisdom is found ultimately in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you see society leaning back from rather than inclining the ear toward. Now the Father recognizes the sinful nature of the heart. And so he now challenges the next generation that there's going to have to be an inclining toward, not, so to speak, a distancing from. You and I, then, have got to begin at the very onset in asking ourselves the tough questions, such as on a Lord's Day. Do I tend to pull back from, or do I find myself inclining my ear toward the biblical wisdom that God has provided? You look at that then, it's the tilting of the head. And it's the tilting of the head toward wisdom. Notice now he has to challenge you and challenge me to hear the words of the wise. Not merely be aware of, but this whole aspect of the hearing involves taking the information that is here and creating a sense of discernment about. Notice it's the words of the wise. It doesn't say the words of the fools. So now you equip the next generation with social media. And they've got to ask, and we've got to ask ourselves the tough questions. When I begin to incline myself toward, who am I in turn listening to? What am I processing And am I willing and am I able to be able to distinguish between the true and the false and the right and the wrong that's found in in this society? And it says the words of the wise. Not merely the words of the father, but the words of the wise, because the wise father knows that he cannot simply do it all on his own. And so he begins to point at the various people who have walked with the Lord throughout the course of the years and the centuries and begins to describe examples within their life experience of wisdom as well. And what do you look for as you begin to point out wisdom? Well, wise people tend to, wise people listen to wise instruction, especially the word of God. So the wise father points out that a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. Proverbs 1, verse 5. Wise people fear the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, verse 7. 
Wise people associate with wise people. Are you associating with wise people in social media, you might ask? For he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So we ask ourselves now, where can I find a companion and, frankly, a company of wisdom? I've challenged my children, who are now in their adult years, to look very carefully at Christian biography, people who have completed the course of life, and ponder what they did, how they did it, what they faced, and why they faced it. What was their response to all of that? Begin to think it through. And create for them a company of the wise to begin to look at carefully. Wise people discipline their speech. Because a wise man's heart guides his mouth. And his lips promote instruction. And so this next generation has to understand the relationship here between wisdom and words. But here's the thing. Notice with me, this is a process. And the father, the wise father, cannot confuse the heart with the ear. The father's responsibility is to impart wisdom to the ear, not implant wisdom upon the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the wise father knows that he is not the Holy Spirit. He is a vehicle of wisdom. But he is not the one who sovereignly implants within the heart. There is a dual responsibility here between the father and the next generation. The father works with the ear, but the next generation applies to the heart. And so now notice the wisdom of anatomy. It begins outwardly where wisdom is coming to the ear, but now begins to move inwardly as it gets applied to the heart. He has to tell his sons and his daughters, apply your heart to my knowledge, because he can't make that inward application for them. When the father, the wise father, understands this, then he knows, as we all know, that we are saved by grace, not by parenting. Parenting is a wonderful vehicle for communicating grace. But good parenting is not the basis for salvation, It's the vehicle for communicating salvation through discipleship within the home. But there has got to be the application, the implantation of God's word, God's salvation within that heart. And so now you look very carefully at the anatomy of wisdom. It begins outwardly with the ear, moves inwardly to the heart, and apply your heart, he writes, to my knowledge, as he communicates biblical truth to the next generation. In this past week, I've been uh, in a few moments in the late evening hours on the Internet looking at various stethoscopes to purchase for my middle child, my son, who's in medical school. And I had looked at the very same site, Littman Products, for my oldest one, my daughter, years ago. And my mind went back to an article. It was written by a cardiologist who is also a poet. And his name is John Stone. A cardiologist and a poet. He's got this left brain, right brain things going at the same time. I wish I could get just one of the two. 
What kinds of music or noise arrive at the listening end of the stethoscope, he asks, as he begins to take his reader through the history of listening to the heart. And as he takes the reader through this, he talks about an experience that he had with his son. Recently, I and my older son, a medical student in Boston, spent a morning at the hospital decoding the heart sounds that emanated from a wondrous electronic teaching mannequin called, quote-unquote, Harvey. Harvey can be programmed to simulate a wide variety of murmurs and pulses. I envy my son the process of discovery that lies before him. It will take some time. Only with time, only after moving the stethoscope like a metal detector over the landscape of countless hearts, does one truly learn how to be still and listen. Such training connects the ear to the heart, and this comes only with experience. And when I read that, I thought he was reading Proverbs. Because what you are now doing, if you are father in particular, parents, you are giving them the opportunity of taking the Proverbs, the spiritual stethoscope, and now connecting the ear to the landscape of the heart to be able to evaluate what is taking place inwardly after what has already been communicated outwardly. They move from the ear toward the heart, and now they look at the heart And as they used their spiritual stethoscope, the writer of Proverbs would remind that one of these words from chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Don't give it away. Keep your heart with all vigilance. It takes discipline. It takes effort, this vigilance. Why? For from it, flow the springs of life. Not to it flow the springs of life, but from it flow the springs of life. Keep that heart pure. Take your spiritual stethoscope. Connect now what has come in through the ears to what is taking place within the heart. And help the next generation to understand the anatomical connections of wisdom that's being described here. But it does not end here. Because there's a third aspect to the anatomy, and it's found now in verse 18. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. You see that phrase, within you? In the Hebrew, it carries with it the idea of the belly and in particular describes the digestive system. So now what the writer of Proverbs is saying is take that which has come through the ear, you have imparted wisdom, 
And now this next generational individual has got to be involved in, in the implantation of wisdom done by the Holy Spirit, you see. And out of this, they begin to digest the Word of God. There is a process that is unfolding here. And he is wisely drawing this out for the family to consider. And yet he doesn't end there because he goes to the fourth aspect of anatomy. You see it at the end of verse 18? If all of them are ready on your lips, the lips. In other words, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we, you, shall be saved. And now the internal and the external aspects of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, like an umbrella, deal with the internal and the externals of this person, all devoted to the Lordship of Christ as being articulated by their testimony for others to hear. Ear, heart, digestive system, Into the lips, out through the lips, comes a testimony of God's grace at work. But notice how it's phrased here, if all of them. What does he mean by that? Do you see it in verse 18? What he's saying is that all the various elements of wisdom that you have provided through the years come together, are attached to one another in such a way that this person, this son, this daughter then, is able to express them, communicate them, and allow them to be able to be understood by those who are around them. In other words, what you are doing is you are equipping the next generation to be ready. Because so much of life involves spontaneity and equipping internally to be able to express externally the truths of God's word that are residing in your heart. Now, what you've just done at this point is this. You have identified four anatomical elements of wisdom, and you have now seen the process of wisdom in these verses. And it begins coming in from the lips of the Father through the ears of the next generation into the heart, into the digestive, and then comes back out in such a way now that you are able to articulate the testimony of God's grace, what God has done for your life. You've now got something, you see, to say. And the internal and the external line up together. I was thinking about that. And the impact of one generation upon the next. Several months ago, I was standing in, our, in my father and mother's kitchen. And we were talking. I am the oldest. And so they got to talking about parenting and what it involves in being a father. And I was smiling as I was listening. And they looked at me and they said, well, we had to experiment on you, of course, And, well, they did, too, because, you see, both my father and my mother had lost their fathers at very young age. Both father and mother, um, their fathers died when uh, they were less than 10 years of age, my mom and my dad. And so they didn't have a model in the home to be able to see what fatherhood looked like. And so, as a result, they spent time in God's word. And so they looked at me and they said, we practiced, you see, on you. 
And so I, I smiled and I said, and, and, and how'd you do? And they said, well, our model to this very day is, well, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's why there's more than one. The wise Father equips us to understand the process, the anatomical process, you see. Gaining wisdom. Are you doing that? Can I say this? Don't confuse the ear with the heart. Don't assume that if you have imparted it to the ear, it's made its way to the heart. Don't assume then if they heard it, they're saved. There's got to be an internalizing. There's got to be an application. There's got to be this sense of implanting in the heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's balanced. And it's wise. And it's good. Now, once you've accepted the process for gaining wisdom and the four anatomical features in verses 17 and 18, notice the second aspect, the priority for gaining wisdom found in verse 19. The priority for wisdom is found in this simple yet powerful phrase, that your trust may be in the Lord. You see, our society wants us to be able to individualize personalize, and make ourselves self-created, self-made people that our trust might be in ourselves, in our savvy, in our abilities. But what you have now done, and hopefully you are modeling it within the home, is that you are demonstrating visually as well as articulating verbally where trust, true trust is to be found. And it is in Jesus Christ, Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord. So look at what he says, that your trust may be where? In the Lord. He's not saying you need to be religiously aware. There are a lot of people that assume if you're religiously aware, therefore you're a believer. He's not saying that you merely be scripturally aware. It's possible to be scripturally aware and still an unbeliever. No, the challenge is set forth here. But it's done in a way, it's winsome, that this is your priority as you've worked the process, that your trust may be in the Lord. And now this Father, you see, is a great communicator. Notice what comes next. I have made, in verse 19, them, speaking of the wide range of wisdom sayings, I have made them known to you today. In other words, this isn't ancient history. This next generation has got relevancy wrapped around this whole subject of biblical wisdom. I have made them known to you today. This father, no matter how old the son, the daughter is, is finding new and effective ways of getting them to process the significance of biblical wisdom at their stage of life and how it applies. But it's got to be, you see, it's got to be in the Lord. And I thought about that when I came across something that described all of this in the life of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You can get out any time you want, Paul Cobb said to Bunyan. As the two sat talking in Bunyan's prison cell, in his hometown of Bedford. Paul Cobb was 
Bedford's clerk of the peace. All you have to do, he continued, is to promise not to share the gospel anymore. We know you aren't a revolutionary, but the king is, well, well, he's not taking any chances with you. You don't view this king as the highest authority. He's threatened by that. When Cobb left, and it's in the 1600s, there was another visitor that came for Bunyan. It was his oldest daughter, Mary. And she came almost every day to deliver a jug of soup, and her visits brought John great joy, the biographer writes. But lately he had been worrying about her. She was about 11 years old, blind before birth. She had learned to bravely walk the streets of Bedford, and now she had no trouble bringing the jug of soup the few blocks from the Bunyan home to the prison where her father was being held. But, he asked, what will happen to her when I'm no longer around? She needs special help and protection. And he thought about the cruelty of this world. And he worried about how she could make a living when she grew up. And what if she has to beg for food or is beaten or, or lives in the cold, homeless? Who's going to take care of her, in fact, if I'm in prison and then die? I entrust her to you, Lord. And then these words came to his heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he, not the Father, earthly Father, he, the Heavenly Father, will direct your steps, you see. Now, when the Father, the earthly Father, has embraced this as his life principle and made trusting in the Lord his life priority. He understands how the process of gaining wisdom finds its focal point, you see, in the priority of true wisdom found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord. Now you say, but Gary, let's say you are a man who looks at himself and says, I, I wish I had done that at an early stage of parenting. But now I'm at a later stage, and I feel as though I lack the opportunities that were there in the past. No matter when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God in his sovereign wisdom gives you opportunities to impact. He can take salvation experience even at a later stage of a man's life and so reinvigorate the family with the dynamic of what true life is, where true life is found in relationship to God through Jesus Christ, it can have an impact far greater than you can ever imagine because the next generation can tell others still about what has taken place within that heart, what has taken place in that life. You've got a testimony. Share it. Because you see, there is a process and that process is the anatomy of wisdom. And in the scanning of wisdom, you move from the process here to the priority that's described here. And now as you continue to work this out, this is a manual, a practical manual for chokmah, Old Testament wisdom, masterful understanding, skill, expertise. You move then to the third, the third equipping 
The wise father equips us to understand, thirdly, the purpose of gaining wisdom. (coughs) You get to verse 20. In verse 20, he now poses a question. And the wise father knows how to pose effective questions, not merely imposing his answers in each and every situation. Remember again, no matter where you're at in your life situation, you've got opportunity to influence others. And ponder how Jesus used critical questions, skillful, strategic, masterful questions to get people to rethink their presuppositions about God. And now in verse 20, and this, this father pens these thoughts. Have I not written for you? He took the time. He put in the effort. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel, knowledge? Now, counsel has to deal with the great big picture, the umbrella of biblical information. Knowledge deals with the details of that that information. You broke it down. And you found a way to craftily, effectively, strategically phrase things that are memorable, which is what this father has now done. He's taken time, possibly in the late hours of the night, to look for ways to phrase things, spiritual truths that can make a difference in these changing times. Now, with social media of today, There are various ways that you can go about communicating and phrasing. You can be texting thoughts, ideas, questions, no matter where they're living, to be able to close the geographic gap because there ought not be a spiritual gap. And you find then that God is giving you a model here for communicating biblical principles and truth. But what's the purpose you're asking in all this? It comes in verse 21. What do I do, you're asking, with all that I got? Here's the purpose statement in verse 21. To make you know what is right and true. And so let's say you're dealing right now with trying to talk to the next generation about the gender chaos in the United States of America, processing what the Supreme Court might come down with in the coming days. But you draw your principles, you see, from the Scriptures. And then you pose strategic questions, well phrased, for the person, even in texting or various social media, Twitter, whatever, to get them to process who is the source of sexuality, who is the source of this creation, who is the master of all these things that brings a sense of order in the midst of all the chaos of life, And now you deal with what is right. And we want the next generation to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. That's the moral realm. And then you get to the next word, untrue. And you help them to distinguish between what is true and what is false. And that's the doctrinal realm. And you never let the moral be separated from the doctrinal Because once you understand what is true, then you can determine what is right versus what is wrong. Keep them together. 
you're giving them then an ethical framework to make biblical decisions. Out of all that then, you know what he does? In essence, what he's saying at the end of verse 21, I want to equip you for the business world or the political world because the end of verse 21 deals with both. And this wise father knows that the next generation is going to have to make a living and navigate the waters that we find ourselves in. And so he says that you may give a true answer to those who sent you politically. That has to do with a son becoming an ambassador and representing the authorities, the, the legislators, the leadership within the land, going out, communicating their intent, and then coming back with the report. Economically, business-wise, it has to do with somebody, perhaps you and I in this century might say is in sales. He's got to represent his company or her company. And they go out, but they've got to speak with integrity with regard to the product. And they've got to then traffic with people that are considering this. But they've distinguished between true and false. They've distinguished between right and wrong. And the result is you've equipped them ethically to embrace this question that you may give a true answer to those who sent you And so now that describes the relationship that your son, your daughter has with their employer or prospective employers. And you tie all that, you see, together. And now you've got yourself a process. You've got yourself a priority. You've got yourself a purpose. There's a sense when I look back over my earlier years, I wasn't merely raised by one man. I was raised by eight. You see, my mother had seven brothers. And these seven brothers had a way of showing up at all of my baseball games. And they had a way of positioning themselves behind home plate. And I would go out on the mound and I'd look and there was not one, not two, not three, not four. There were seven plus my father there, moaning and groaning with each and every pitch more often moans and groans than applause, you see. They were looking very carefully at the balls and the strikes. They felt they had the capacity to distinguish between whether what the umpire was calling was right or wrong. Now, what we do is we equip the next generation. We help them to distinguish. But how? You work the process. How? You establish the priority. Why? You set the purpose. And when you work this through very carefully, you're able to address the question that Randy Wilson posed from Focus on the Family. I have wondered, do I have what it takes? If you know the Heavenly Father, he gives you what you need. Happy Father's Day. Let's stand together. We are imperfect people, sinful by nature. Knowing that you've created a manual of wisdom for us. Wisely and effectively, you've given us medical 
illustrations in these verses. You've given us business illustrations in these verses. You've given us political illustrations. You've used various ways to make sure somehow, some way, we can connect with what's here. So help everyone here, Father, to work the process biblically, to establish the priority biblically. It's Jesus and putting trust in him alone. And then all of of this, Father, to know our purpose of why we're here, and it's to bring glory to your name. So, Father, equip now each and every one to make a difference in this era for Jesus Christ, and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.